You know, Jesus took hell seriously. And when you find Jesus speaking of hell, there are times when he's using descriptive words and doesn't mention it, uh, talking about basically a fiery judgment. And then there are other times when he mentions hell specifically. And the word that we talked about last week that he used was the word Gehenna. If you'll remember, Gehenna in its literal times was a valley, the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, which later became the Valley of, of Hinnom. It was a place where in times past, people of Israel had sacrificed their own children in the flames. And that repugnance, that wickedness that was displayed there was so awful that Gehenna became a metaphor for hell, a place of eternal punishment. Now, there are other words in the English Bibles that have been translated as hell and other references to fiery judgment, and we're going to touch on some of those, hopefully, in a very reasoned way. But I want to add a word of caution. I take no pleasure and delight in talking about hell. I'd prefer to cast my lot with Rob Bell and everyone else who says that, you know, eventually everyone gets in. Or even with those that say there's no hell at all. Because I never want to be numbered among those hate mongers who breathe fire and brimstone. Who seem to delight in people entering into hell. Because my God says that he wants everyone to repent and none to perish. And yet we find people thanking God for dead soldiers. Saying that God hates Israel or God hates this group or God hates that group. Or that God laughs when soldiers die. Sadly, when we think about hell and talk about hell, this is the image that comes to people's minds. I don't want that to be the image that comes to your mind when I speak of it, because I take no joy in it at all. I speak of it because it's real. I speak of it because Jesus thought it was serious enough to deal with. I speak of it because God tells us that there is a place of unspeakable horror prepared for the devil and his angels and that there will be people who go there. I speak of it because I've been called by a gracious, loving God to stand and present the unvarnished truth so that people know what eternity is going to be. They don't have to make it up themselves. And so they'll know the consequences of their decisions. Now, there have been other words that in in your English Bibles have been translated with the word hell. Some of those words are uh, Sheol, Hades, and Tartarus. Now, you may have encountered some of those words in studying the Bible. You may not have encountered some of those words. Certainly, you've, you've probably heard the word Sheol, the Hebrew word, or heard the word Hades, the Greek word. Sheol in Hebrew, Hades in Greek, they're similar. They're the place where the dead go. Some people think Sheol, the Hebrew word, is simply the grave 
or the tomb, a place where someone's buried, but it's actually more than that. And then there are people who look at Sheol or Hades and they think, well, this, this has gotten referred to, to hell, the final place. And it's somewhat less than that. So what are Sheol and Hades? I want to give you a definition. It is a non-permanent place where disembodied souls reside awaiting their permanent dwelling. So when you encounter the word Sheol and Hades, they are a non-permanent place where disembodied souls reside awaiting their permanent dwelling. It is not the same kind of theology as Roman Catholic purgatory. But you can understand where that concept would come from. And so it is non-permanent. And you'll see a little bit more about it. Now, as far as the Greek word Tartarus, it was a place in Greek mythology where the Minotaur and other, other beings like that dwelt. It's only used by Peter, and he's probably using it speaking to a, a Greek understanding audience who had that background, and they would understand it as, this, as these nether regions. But whether it's referring more to Sheol, Hades, or, or more to hell, it's a little harder to understand. But I want to focus a little more on this concept of, of Sheol and, and Hades because I think we need to understand this because a lot of times in the English Bible it gets translated into hell. And one of the passages where you're going to find that that occurs is in Luke chapter 16. And so I'm going to ask you all, if you've got your Bibles, to turn to Luke chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 19 to 31. Luke 16, 19 to 31. If you said, oops, I forgot my Bible, left it home, no problem. We're going to put the words on the screen for you. But I want you to see this because many of you have heard this story probably multiple times as, a, as being heaven and hell. And I want to present to you a concept which I think gives us a better understanding of this scripture. And so Luke 16, 19 to 31, hear the word of the Lord. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. Now he is not the same Lazarus that Jesus raised up. He was covered with sores. And longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, and let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, 
If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Father, help us to understand this word so that we can apply it rightly to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage, as I said, has been used by some to describe heaven and hell. But is that what's being communicated here? Lazarus is said to be at Abraham's side, or in your translation, perhaps Abraham's bosom. It meant he was basically, it would be in a position where somewhat he would be leaning into him, reclining on him, a position of, of rest. And so that's the idea. That's where Lazarus is said to be. The rich man is said, in my translation, perhaps in your translation, is said to be in hell. The word that is used here is not Gehenna. The word that is used here is Hades. The rich man is in Hades. If your Bible has hell, yours like mine may have a footnote that mentions the word is Hades. Or your Bible may have translated it strictly as Hades. So why is it translated as hell? Well, I think most scholars looked at that and they considered a place of fiery torment must be hell, right? I mean, that's way, that's our image of hell. That's, that's our concept of hell. But I want to share with you, and again, I want you to know something up front. I am not infallible. I do not claim infallibility. I do not claim to be without error. As I interpret Scripture, just like others have interpreted Scripture. But I want you to understand this because when you go back and you look at what was said, rather than how it's been translated, it can help us. And so remember, the word is Hades, and that's where the rich man is. Lazarus is at Abraham's side or at Abraham's bosom. Here's my understanding. Sheol contains both Abraham's bosom, that is Abraham's side, paradise, where the righteous dead will remain, and Hades, where the unrighteous dead would be. And between the two, we're told there's a great chasm that no one can cross. In paradise, in this place where Lazarus is, there is comfort. But in Hades, there is fiery torment. But this is not the permanent place heaven, and hell. This is a temporary place awaiting the judgment. Now, are both places filled right now? Are there people in both places? Well, Hades still holds its residence awaiting the final judgment. Now, what leads me to the conclusion that there are still people in Hades awaiting the final judgment? Well, Revelation 20 would lead me to that. And here are the words from Revelation 20, beginning at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that was in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is a second death. If anyone's name was not found 
in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It is at this point, in the end, at the final judgment, that Hades will be emptied and itself will be cast into the lake of fire. That will be the permanent final thing that we know of as hell. Now, what about Sheol, where the part of Sheol where Lazarus was, Abraham's bosom, Abraham's side? What, what about paradise? What happens to that? Are the righteous dead still there now, awaiting the judgment? I don't think so. And here's why. There's an obscure passage that we find in Ephesians chapter 4 that you may have read over and went scratched your head and wondered, what in the world is this? Let's consider this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, it says this. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended on high, ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Okay, he descended into the earthly region. This is talking about Jesus. He descended and he led captives who were, who were in, who were dead. He led those captives in his train as he exited. He descended in his death. He went to Abraham's bosom, to Abraham's side, where the righteous dead were, and he led them out to their permanent place. My understanding is Hades is filled with people in torment. Paradise is now empty. Those captives who were held there because Jesus was raised from the dead have been led out. It appears during the time Jesus was in Sheol, he emptied paradise. Now, I want to tell you, not every scholar is going to agree with that. But it seems evident that after Jesus' resurrection, those who die now go to be with Christ immediately. If they're in Christ, they immediately go to be in the presence of God. And, and this is why I believe that, because this is what Scripture teaches. 2 Corinthians 5.8, we're confident, I say, and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. In other words, when I die, I'll be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's our hope. Philippians 1.23, Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ. He doesn't say I desire to depart and go hang around with Abraham for a while. I desire to depart and to be with Christ. So Sheol then contains only the souls of those who await their final judgment at that time when Hades and the souls within will be cast into the lake of fire that is hell. Now, I put this off till last because I don't even like to talk about this. You've heard and seen all the caricatures of hell. There are even songs that glorify 
dying and going to hell where you can hang out and party with all your buddies. When I've heard those songs, I cringe. There are people who will say, hey, I'd, I'd rather die and go to hell with my buddies and, than go to, go to heaven and have to hang around with all these Christians. And it's simply because they do not understand the horrors, the torment of hell. And so I'm going to spend a little time on it just because you need to know. What is hell like? Well, first of all, we're told in hell there is unquenchable fire. In hell there is unquenchable fire. Mark 9, 43 says this. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and to go into hell where the fire never goes out. In Revelation 21, 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is a second death. Unquenchable fire. The second aspect is excruciating suffering. Excruciating suffering. Matthew 13, verse 41 and verse 50. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The weeping we get, the gnashing of teeth, what is that? How do I gnash my teeth? I, don't, I was a big fan of westerns growing up because my dad is, and I still, if I find an episode of Gunsmoke, I'm liable to leave it right there and watch it. Nothing like Matt Dillon and Festus and that whole crew. Well, if you remember in these old westerns, when they have to cut a bullet out of somebody, they'd lay them down and they'd give them a shot of whiskey. I know it's a Baptist church, but I got to say that anyway, because it was in the movie, okay? They'd give them a shot of whiskey and then they'd give them a bullet or a piece of leather to bite down on in the midst of their pain. Well, imagine not having the bullet or the leather there to bite on. All you have is your teeth. It is that grinding, that gnashing of teeth, excruciating suffering. We're also told in Mark's gospel, the ninth chapter, verse 48, Jesus says, he describes this place as where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Burning and suffering. What does the worm do? Worms gnaw, they eat. It is not a pleasant place. The third description that we get from Scripture is that there is blackest darkness. Speaking of those pretending to be righteous, Jude writes, they are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars, for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Jesus says, 
that the unrighteous will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, how, how can a place that's on fire be dark? I don't know. We said that there are wonders in heaven of which we cannot conceive, that there are wonders in heaven uh, that defy the laws of physics. Well, hell's going to defy the laws of physics too. Fire that won't be extinguished and produces no light. This is how hell is described. And any one, pastor, Bible teacher, seminary professor, who talks about hell and enjoys it, there must be something wrong with them. But because the subject of hell is unsavory, does not mean we should never mention it. Each of us, you see, has an eternal destiny. And it will either be with God in glory or it will be apart from God in hell. God's call to you while you live is to join him. You, in other words, from our human perspective, you have a choice. Choose wisely.